The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome to Healing the City podcast. My name is Eric Seepin, and across from me is Ron Brown. And we're back to the book of Saul or Paul or something like that. Solly Paul. 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 Yes. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And, maybe three uh, months. It's been three months since we've talked anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's on the what's on the docket for today? Well, so as I've said before, a big part of the series' purpose for me is to show that there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible and in Christian practices that is sort of God slash Jesus independent. Like, even if you're the biggest atheist on earth, you can be like, huh, that's actually a useful idea. And so last episode, we talked about Ishmael and how that book by Daniel Quinn reinterpreted some of the key uh, stories in the early part of Genesis as being an allegorical storytelling of the agricultural revolution. Um, and I mentioned, I think I mentioned that I was going to talk in the future, and the future is now, about... The future. Yeah, exactly. You're there. You're there. <laughs> and this will be uh, yeah. the past when they're listening. Exactly. So, yeah, back to the future. Where's Michael J. Fox when you need him? We're getting, getting deep all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, man. Anyhow, I'm getting lost. Anyhow, um, so I mentioned, I think, that um, so the Ishmael thing was the first time I'd ever seen uh, the Bible interpreted in a way that was like profoundly wise uh, um, and not God dependent. The second time was Jordan Peterson when he talked about the story of Cain and Abel. And so before I get into that, well, actually, before I, I want to say one of the really cool things about these biblical passages is that they often could be read from various perspectives and they provide wisdom that is like totally separate. It's like the wisdom in communica- communicated in terms of the agricultural revolution has nothing to do with peterson's interpretation and and how i'm going to use it but they're so valid and that probably has a lot to do with why these stories have endured so long is because they can provide real wisdom to people in a whole variety of circumstances if they can understand them in a functional way um but so yeah i'm really this uh in this episode i'm going to be linking the story of cain and abel to my experience as a, a university student um So just to give my story, like all my life, you know, like many of us, I was taught by parents, family, the culture at large, teachers, that the single best thing you can do for yourself is be an excellent student and and get into a good university. Like that is your way to a good future. Um, And so that's precisely what I did. Um, You know, I studied really hard to get into the best university I could. And then I studied really hard to do well. And... When I was there, I, I, you know, you, people always tell you, do what you love. If you do what you love, one, you'll do better at it, and two, you'll never work a day in your life. And so what I loved was psychology, and so I did that. Um, and I will say, by the way, that do what you love in, on its own, it's terrible advice. Uh, we can get into that later if you want. But um, so I got into psych, and I figured, you know, if being a university student is the single best thing I can do when I'm 19 or 20 or 22 kind of thing, then wouldn't it be even better if I were to become a professor? Um, and so that's what my goal was, to, to become a professor. And, you know, I worked my, my butt off for a lot of, for a handful of years trying to make that happen. And, um, and then I got into grad school, and I left it before the first year was over. 
And a big, the biggest part of the reason for that was that I just realized there is no future in this in all likelihood for me. It's like, I, I think I've mentioned before, if, if the University of Arizona or really any school just about puts out a tenure track position tomorrow, which by the way, they, they won't because they hardly ever do that. They, they, they do anything they possibly can before hiring a tenure track professor. They'll get grad students to teach the classes. They'll hire adjunct instructors for, you know, like short-term contracts. They will do everything they can, increase class sizes, online learning modules, right? But let's say they did. Um, your school is going to get 300 applications and only one of them is going to get the job. And so that's going to leave 299 people jobless and unhappy. And when I realized that, it didn't take long for me to just drop the program. Um, but it's easy not to realize that was a thing. Like I did feel rather stupid. Like people even told me, Ron, like you're getting into a bad path, but I, I was too arrogant. I, I thought I knew better than them. Um, but it's, it's like when you're trying to be a professor, when you're an undergrad, you see the professors, you see the one who got the job. You don't see the 299 that didn't. Right. And actually it's, that's not even fully true actually, because you actually do see some of them, right. you know, you like, see them next sitting next to you in the class. Oh, <laughs> They're oh, not going to get the job. Either. Or, or you see them as like your adjunct instructors. Like I remember right. I used to have adjunct instructors sure. and I used to think when I was an undergrad, I just figured, Oh, these are people that work outside of the university, but they love the academic community so much that they just want to maintain connection to it. And so they teach courses here and there. It's like, no, that is almost never true. No, they're stringing together these you know, adjunct classes yeah. in five different universities. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Their their income is not dependable. They're always like they're always sure. they're always three months away from being fired, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or not being renewed. Yeah, no, they don't get fired. They just don't get they don't get renewed. Don't get renewed. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right. And and and, um, and and it's like you'll you'll see postdoctoral fellows. So a postdoctoral fellowship is something you do after you have your PhD and you still can't get a tenure track position. One way I've seen it put is a postdoc is your career on life support. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, but yeah, so like you get into this situation where you can make deep, profound, enduring sacrifices for years and years and years, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks constantly. And then at the end of it all, when you realize there's nothing there, maybe you come out kind of feeling like a Scientologist who like spent 15 years and $300,000 in the church to get all the way up to OT8. And then realized when they got to the top of the Scientology pyramid, there was nothing there. And so then they left the Church of Scientology, and nobody else in the world cared about all the things they've learned the last 15 years. They're completely right. irrelevant. It's like, if you're a, like, I was a grad student studying how kids like acquire their first languages, things like how they acquire and generalize their earliest verbs. Nobody cares about that. It, it's like, if I bring. It's, it's, yeah, it's not compelling party conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And, and it's like, what could I do with that? Right. Like if, if I was an engineering PhD, plenty I could do with that. Like not with that subject matter, but like, you know, if I spent a whole while like, you know, researching aspects of thermodynamics. Yeah, I'll have some use to somebody out there. No doubt about it. Right. But what could I say? I, um, you know, I've, I've spent the last eight years studying how kids generalize their earliest verbs. And one of the things I realized is after I left uh, the graduate program, I mentioned previously that I got a job that was basically a pretty good job for a new grad. I was like... You know, I was, um, it was 2007, I was making like a little over 20 bucks an hour at a government health agency in Toronto. Like that's not bad for someone who's highest degrees in undergrad. Um, but um, it's like, it's not at all what I was aiming at. 
and I made all these sacrifices. And so let's let's go into like the story of Cain and Abel, because some of you might already be seeing the resemblance here. So to recap, after leaving the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had two children, Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel was a nomadic herder, and Cain was a farmer. Both act offered sacrifices to God, um, Cain from his crop and, and Abel from the flock. And God rewarded Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And so you could take this as being as, look, they both made sacrifices. They both worked and produced an outcome, but only Abel's outcome was what was intended. Cain worked really hard to get that professorship and the professorship never came but that doesn't erase the 60 hour weeks he put in for seven years straight and that can lead you feeling really bitter and resentful and mad at the world and mad at yourself like you know Cain killed his brother I didn't kill anyone but I was certainly quite jealous of my friend who was an economist and my friends who were engineers, all people that I was just as smart at as and worked comparable, like as hard as, and they were making six figures by the time they were 27. And I was just like, what am I doing with my life? And like, that's a terrible situation to be in. And so I guess the wisdom I think uh, from this, you know, Jordan Peterson interpretation of this passage of Cain and Abel is that just because you're making a sacrifice doesn't mean you're making the right sacrifice. So make the right sacrifice or you're going to be very unhappy. Hmm. So what do you think the right sacrifice in the Cain of Abel, Abel story is? And then what do you think? How does that translate to you? Like, okay, so make the right sacrifice. What what would you have needed to do? For me, well, so like for Cain and Abel, it's like it's hard to get into that. For me, you might do a better job of that than I do. Uh, just because it's like I could interpret it one way as in the agricultural revolution way. It's like, oh, the people writing it thought that sure. agriculture was doing more harm than good, right? And so like they're casting negative judgment on it. So they would have been like, oh, well, maybe stop being a farmer. <laughs> they might have said that. Um, so, um, but for me, like what I could have done in, is look for independent sources of, of evidence that what I'm doing actually is practical. Like I should have been on the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I should have been on StatsCan, which is basically the Canadian like major statistics and research kind of agency. Okay. And I should have been looking at seeing like what kind of jobs can psych grads get? What's the employment rate? What's the income rate? What are, what are the career trajectories? Like I didn't do that at all. Okay. Yeah. So th- there is one interesting kind of twist in that story is that Cain worked hard and he made, you know, and he did the thing he was good at, which is farming. And Abel was a herder, but the sacrifice that was asked for was an animal. Mm. So Cain would have had to go to Abel to get an animal to make a sacrifice. So that's almost like saying there actually was a stats can and it was saying get an animal. <laughs> <laughs> and Cain in his arrogance just didn't bother reading the, the, website <laughs> Read the website because he's like, I got this. I know what's going on here. Right, right. Well, and I think that's, I think what's interesting is the, your, on your reflection is that Cain is upset because Cain worked hard and Cain worked yeah. and sacrificed his stuff. And God's like, but that's not the kind of sacrifice I want. Mm-hmm. So in some ways... Uh, it's uh, Cain just wanted to do what Cain wanted to do. Right. Which kind of links to your idea of, well, you know, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life, which isn't true. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Good luck. If you enjoy forty percent of your job, then you're really it's good. not bad. You're doing pretty <laughs> it's good. pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but I think, but I would love to explore with you just a little bit further. There is a role for psychology, so you're not saying oh, yeah. psychology or verb acquisition for children mm-hmm. isn't important. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting stuff. It's it's right. useful. To Somebody's hear. got to do it. Somebody's got to figure it out. Way fewer people than do do it. <laughs> like if we could take the number of people who do do it and divide it by like ten, I think we'd be right around the sweet spot. The sweet spot. <laughs> Did you go into psychology because it was like your highest joy? Like it's what you wanted to do, like the thing you just super interesting to me. Yeah, is and it still super yeah, interesting? Yeah, it is. To you? It is. And so there is some for you, yeah. like Kane. There's some disappointment that the thing you really like, oh yeah, is not the thing that makes you money. Yeah, and the thing is, there's a lot of problems when you. It's like let's say that you genuinely are like kind of like uh, a numbers nerd. Um, well, then yeah, you should be maybe be an actuarial like scientist, like a statistician, something like that. Like because it's like then you'd be doing what you love, and what you love actually happens to be practical. So that's fantastic. Like that's right. like count your blessings on that because you just by pure happenstance hit the jackpot in a, in a big way. Right. Um, but let's say that your interest is uh, journalism. That's a common, that's a popular one. It's one of the yeah. it's a popular degree. Um, the only problem is, is that a lot of people want to be journalists or um, clinical psychologists, yeah. for example. Like clinical psychology grad school is it's it's in the same basic vicinity of difficultness to get into as is right. med in law school. Right. Um, and so, gosh, where was I going with that? Um, well, you, you were. I asked you if you really enjoyed what you were doing. I remember you right, right, okay, yes, yes, right. So I remember, yeah. And so the, but the, so the problem is, is that when you have a lot of people that are willing and able to do a particular type of job, and that's what often happens. Like frequently when you're super interested in something, usually the thing you're interested in is a relatively popular thing. Like there are way more people interested in psychology than there are in engineering. Yeah, which is actually, in a way, in terms of practicalities, completely backwards. Like right. we could we could use a lot more engineers and a lot and get by with a lot fewer psychology right. grads. Um, but so it's like if what you do, if what you're learning doesn't train you how to do much of economic value, and then on top of that, you're competing with a huge number of other people for like those seven jobs in that area. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, and so and it's like you're not going to like your job in that context a lot of the time because. It's like I remember years ago I read a um, a book by I'm actually yeah I was gonna plug my uh, YouTube channel uh, I've been doing YouTube videos we're gonna post a link to it in uh, the uh, description of this podcast and I talk about a lot of things and one of the people I'm gonna be um, calling up to possibly interview he'll probably say no is he's a former major league baseball player and he wrote a book called the bullpen gospels um, back around 2006 or something or eight and what he was talking about was that he was someone who was a grad basically he was a minor league baseball player and he was hovering around possibly being in the majors and so his career was very much in the balance like it could go either way he's either gonna barely make it or barely not make it yeah and um and the thing with major league baseball much like trying to become a tenured professor in a field with no applications um, is that it's kind of like you either win completely or you lose completely. Like when you're a, a minor league baseball player, you're getting paid like a graduate student. And, and, and once you're like 37, you can't even do that anymore. Right, so right. you haven't made it to the majors. You haven't made your millions. You're basically like you went from being the person who was one of the best athletes in their town as a kid and as a high schooler popular in school because like, oh, my God, did you hear Jim got drafted by the Brewers? Right, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. Right. And then all of a sudden when it's 37, it's just gone. Yep. 
And so this uh, baseball player. And so then we start studying Ecclesiastes. <laughs> everything is meaningless. meaningless. <laughs> Dust in the wind. Yes. Nihilism is the way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so this player's name is D- Dirk Hayhurst. And he talked about how for the last several years of his career, he was perpetually depressed, perpetually anxious. And because he knew that like his hopes and dreams are in a way, kind of like they're hanging on his every pitch to some non-trivial degree. Like, how are you not going to be stressed? There is no way that he was having more fun playing baseball under those circumstances than our kids playing in their pickup league. They're doing it for fun. He's doing it just to try and save his own life. One of those is much more fun than the other. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. So, um, to go back to the Cain and Abel thing for just a yeah. second. So, how if you kind of interpret it, I, I think from uh, how it is to be read, you end up with Cain. If Cain obeys and Cain gives the appropriate sacrifice, he would probably get a blessing on his farming. Right, the God would bless him because he was obedient. That's the idea that sits there: is that the, he didn't accept his sacrifice because he was disobedient. He mm. knew that there was another thing wanted. And it makes me think just if we're going to interpret backwards or interpret our lives in college, I could do that too. You see, I went to college um, and I was told the same thing you are, you know, do good. But I wasn't a great student. But I was also told that the, there are only three careers in the United States that are going to give you a, a a good amount of money and or security, right? So this may sound odd, but number one is engineering. Mm-hmm. Or some form of, you know, being a doctor. So some science mm-hmm. form of thing. Some kind of scientist. Or a teacher. Because they always want teachers. There's always a job for a teacher, right? So so I went into, I was like, oh, I love physics. So I'm going to be a physicist. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really like physics. I wasn't that good at it. I right. just thought it was interesting and out of the three. So I was right. depressed by the yeah. first year, failing in college. Um, but my parents repeatedly told me, oh, you can't be a sociologist. You right. can't be a psychologist because right. there are no jobs for sociologists right. and psychologists, right. as we have just talked about. But what I found was that as I went seven years in college, mm-hmm. that once I got back around to being a psychologist, uh, I loved it. Mm. And I didn't care if I got a job afterwards or not. That's a healthy, yeah. Right? If that's your stance, then Godspeed, go because, forward. <laughs> because if I'm obedient yeah. and I pursue what I think God's calling me to pursue, uh, he'll take care of me. Right. And I think the key is that Abel trusted God's provision Mm -hmm. for him. He had to trust Cain for his grain, right? So Cain needs to be blessed too. But Cain did not want to trust God or Abel. So he Mm -hmm. didn't want to go to Abel and get, I suspect, a lamb or whatever he needed to sacrifice. Um, He wanted to, it was about him and his garden. And I think that's a big part of, if you just think about, there's a lot of selfishness built into this story. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know. So for me, it's like, oh, like it's like my career, like maybe there's a, a like, it's not about money. I had to drop that. It's not about having a stable yeah. job. It's about doing the thing I want to do. Yeah. And then God will, God will take care of me. So my position basically is, um, Find something that is practical that you wouldn't mind doing. Like, yeah, you know, you yeah. don't like 40% of, or more of your job you like, yeah. right? Um, that's practical. But then 
like engage in the things you love in your own free time because then they'll continue to be hobbies they won't be like you won't be like the baseball sure. player who's in, who's like life and dreams and stability and social standing and everything is hanging on this like it's not a hobby anymore when you're doing that it is now torture like it, it well, is well it's about stress. an identity yeah exactly yeah. right um and another thing i would say too is um it's like a lot of people they they should they don't talk about becoming a professor in a field like psychology or english the way they talk about becoming a major league baseball player. Sure. And maybe they should. Like the odds aren't as bad to become a professor as to become like a pro player. This is true. But but they're still really bad. That is me. Oh. Uh, we, yeah. we got but a phone call. We got a caller. Poor, 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 poor podcast etiquette. That's okay. Um, We're all human. Yeah. So let me see if I can turn this thing off. Um, but what was I saying again? Well, Before you, I was so really interrupted profess, by myself. Professors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Right. Artists uh, as hard to get as a professional baseball. Let's say you're in your engineering program and you're graduating. Yeah. And you're at the 40th or 50th percentile in your class. Like yeah. half the people are, are doing better than you and you did better than half. You're going to get a job. Yeah. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Yeah. But if you want to become a psychology professor, like you have to be like in the top five or one to 5% of people who have PhDs yeah. in psychology. Yeah. And you got to be well published and all this. Right. Kind of so it, it, it's like, I don't want to be pursuing a job yeah. where like only like one in several hundred get what they want. Right. Unless you feel called <laughs> to it. Yeah, like unless like the way I put it, like in a I made a video a few years ago called "Friends Don't Let Friends Study Psychology," and it's true. <laughs> and what I said when when it comes to like people going into research graduate programs is like I'm not saying don't under any circumstances go for a PhD in developmental yeah, psych. Yeah. What I was saying was I loved developmental psych. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's me amazing. too. But it's like what I was saying. What I said was. If you love uh, psychology and also doing psychology research, and because those aren't the same things, like you can love psychology but hate doing the research. That was me. Um, but if you <laughs> love them both, and you love them so much that you could spend the next five to ten years of your life working very hard in those fields, and then not get the job you wanted, and then and not get really any job that corresponds to your efforts, and have sure. to go back to the drawing board. If you could do that and feel that way confidently, and you still want to do it because oh my god, you'd be like, I love this. I love the academic community. I love this stuff. It would still be worth it. All right, go do it. Like you. Right. But but yeah. if you feel like if I don't get the tenure track position or something comparable that this was all going to be a waste of time. You're just begging for like nervous breakdown after nervous breakdown. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think what you got to think about is where are you finding your identity? Cause if your yeah. identity is in your work yes, and in what you're doing, like this is me and then it's not working out. Right. It's going to be a big ego b- blow and you're going to have to process yeah. where you find uh, meaning and purpose in your life. Yeah, and that this has actually been one of the be- the be- big benefits of the church for me is that like I'm more identifying as being a member of this community, which is amazing because it's like just being a member of this community, like it's kind of like you know the whole the difference between doing good and doing well. Sure. Right. Like if you're just trying to do good, then even if you mess up, you're like, hey, at least I tried. I really meant you know you, you still get satisfaction and people know that you're genuinely trying. Right. Um, whereas if you're trying to do well, well, it's like, it puts a whole new sort of stress on you. Um, but yeah, like when you have so much of your identity wrapped up in one thing, it's really dangerous. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, uh, so just sort of to kind of wrap things up and conclude is 
if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, well, I'm mean, not a follower of Jesus, there there is this idea here that says sits in Cain and Abel of, you know, where you are, um, I guess, how would you say it? Maybe you can help me articulate it in a short form. Um, how do I apply? Like, maybe we could just summarize it. You could, we could do this. Summarize how I apply Cain and Abel to my college life. So, so we can wrap that up as a, as a closing. When you're considering making a sacrifice, don't just assume that the sacrifice is the right sacrifice. See if you can find out in some way or other whether this works out, whether this is a good idea. One way, if it's job and career, it's going to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. If it's some other aspect of life, talk to people that you view as being wise who are older than you. Like when you're 25, talk to a 50-year-old. You know, because they might have a better idea, and they might be wrong, right? And like, you know, your their world when they were twenty five is different than yours, but they might also see things from a perspective you don't. Yeah, that could be and, helpful. And so it could help you find out if the sacrifice sure. your plan plan could make is actually yeah. a good one. Yeah, I like that. That's a good summary. Yeah. Well, Ron, thanks for this. This was fun. Yeah, and it was, it was and I'll just I'll plug my uh, YouTube channel one more time. So yeah, like if you want to come check it out, we'll post it in the. And I'll put it in the show notes. In the show notes, yes, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, thanks, Ron. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Ron Brown and Eric Seaton.